Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Hi, this is David Sachs and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, so much to discuss this week. I, you know, I just want to begin with a, a, a just one of these coincidences. We know there, there's no such thing as coincidences. God is is running the world in the most amazing, amazing way. You know, that's one of the things. Um, so many people think that that to believe in God means that you believe that there was a creator of the world. And that's what it means to believe in God. But actually, from the Jewish perspective, from the Torah's perspective, believing in God is, it's, it's a little bit more um, intense than that, if you will. Uh, it's not just that you believe that there's a creator of the world, but you believe that God is intimately involved in all the ongoings of the world and all the ongoings of your life. Um, even in the most uh, minute levels, and this is really the consciousness that was at the heart of the, the Hasidic revolution um, that the Baal Shem Tov ushered in. And uh, one of my favorite stories, I love this story so much because it, it really sort of like brings this consciousness to life, is that the Baal Shem Tov was, was walking through the forest with one of his students and, and he was saying that every single thing in, in the entire world, no matter how small, God is, is a part of and God is overseeing. And, and the Baal Shem Tov pointed to the leaves on the trees in the forest, and he said, every leaf on every tree, God is overseeing. And the student was just, you know, just looking at the vastness of the forest and thinking of the implications of all this. And, you know, his mind was being blown, and he was like, every tree on every leaf, and the Baal Shem Tov said, every tree on every, every leaf on every tree. And just then a leaf blows off a tree. And, and the Baal Shem Tov points to it and he says, let's follow it. And the wind takes it in one direction and then in the other direction. And finally, it lands in a patch of sunlight. And they walk over to this, this leaf and they pick it up. And under the leaf is a worm. And the worm had been sort of like baking in the sunlight. And God had sent this leaf to be this canopy of shade over this worm. And so, so here we see just a, a beautiful example of just how God is running absolutely all of life. So, so when we experience a coincidence in our life, um, there's no randomness. There's no random, randomness at all. What's happening is, is that God is going, so to speak, out of his way to show you how close he is to you and to this moment. And it seemed to me that if God is going out of his way, so to speak, to alert you through this coincidence, quote unquote, of how close he is to your life at this moment, that means that at the time of a coincidence, you are experiencing what we call an ace ratzon. 
And Ezratzon is Hebrew, and it means we translate it to a time of favor. It means that, 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 that the gates are open for you. And so, if you ever experience a coincidence in your life, know that God is showing you at that moment that he's close to you, and understand that that means that the gates are open for you to pray to God for absolutely anything. So when a coincidence comes, pray to God. That's the, that's, that's the lesson. So with that as an introduction, I want to tell you about this experience that I had this week. And you need a little background to appreciate this story. When I was growing up, my best friend in the whole world lived on the sixth floor. I lived on the seventh floor of this building. It was an apartment building on 79th Street in New York City. And every single day we were together. And from the moment I came home from the hospital when we were born, every day we were together, okay? And um, he had the same name as I have. His name is David, my name is David. And I would never drink my milk. He would always play at my house, and I would never drink my milk. And my mother would always tell me to drink my milk, and I wouldn't drink my milk. And then often she would get upset. So, so, so we would be playing together, and I think we were about six years old at the time of this story, and my mother would yell, David! Right? Which was, you know, her way of telling me to come into the kitchen to drink my milk. Anyway, my best friend, David, would hear my mother scream, David, and he would run out of the house and he would run home. Terrified of my mother. And my mother understood what was going on. And so she decided, now David's middle name was Homer. Okay? So she decided that to, 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 for, to increase peace, that she would start calling him Homer, and I would be David. And that way, if she yelled David, she knew, he knew, that she wasn't yelling at him. Okay. So with that as an introduction, there's someone in the community here who I've known for 25 years. And over the course of that time, you know, he's a lovely guy. Whenever we speak, we only speak about things like Torah, like really like 100% just about Torah. And who often asks me about Reb Shlomo and did Reb Shlomo say anything about on this topic or not? And I would honestly say that that is 100% of our conversations over 25 years. So he calls me this week and he says, you know, I've been reading the Iliad. <laughs> and I, I thought, I, I could not have heard him properly. It sounded like he said the Iliad. I said, what did you say? And he said, you know, I've been looking online about the Iliad and the Odyssey. And at that moment, my friend Homer calls me. <laughs> Homer, of course, is the author of the Iliad and the Odyssey. And on my phone, flashing, while he's talking to me about the Iliad, is my friend Homer calling. <laughs> now, I don't speak to either of these people on a regular basis. And so for these things to happen simultaneously was so wild. It was just wild. So that's, 
that's God running the world. And, you know, I prayed for Mashiach. <laughs> you know, if all the gates are open, you got to pray for Mashiach. So that's story number one. Um, I'll give you story number two. Um, so one of our, the great pillars of our community here in Los Angeles, Ed Orshan, Yitzhak ben Shmuel, his neshama should have an aliyah, uh, was in his 80s, lived a fabulous full life, and, and we, we, uh, we, we, he was laid to rest this week. And we, we buried him, and um, Ed was a unique personality, uh, just, a, a, just a true, true lover of life who, it's, it's hard to put into words, he was such a unique person. I mean, he attended Princeton College, he attended... Harvard University, and you would, you could know him for years and never find out either of those things. I, I myself didn't know that after years and years of knowing him. And he then uh, became a film editor, opened up a Chinese restaurant in Israel. He just, when he discovered Torah later in life, he completely devoted himself to to Torah and to helping people who who didn't have anything in their life, and was a a friend to the friendless and a fierce guardian to anyone who was in need on any level, and that became his entire life for the last few decades of his life, just totally devoting himself to other people's needs and to acts of kindness. With that in mind, something really, I, I thought just, just like a life lesson um, at his funeral happened. Now, way downtown in Los Angeles, in sort of like a, it's not, I don't even think it's technically the city of Los Angeles. It's on the outskirts of it. It's in more of an industrial area. And th- these are roads where, you know, they're like big walls and you don't even know what's behind these old stone walls. Anyway, behind one of these old walls in the middle of nowhere, you turn in in the middle of it and there's this tiny little cemetery. And it's it, it's a very unusual place. I mean, you go in, there wasn't, when there isn't a blade of grass. Like, you go into a cemetery, there's, there's grass. It's just all mud, basically, like dried mud. And I think that, you know, one of the things, really, the, the, the proper ideal Torah way to be buried, after 120, we should all live long, the ideal way is that you're wrapped in a talus, you're wrapped in a shroud, and you're just put into the earth, and that's what it is. You know? Um, and there's something kind of beautiful about that, about just, you know, you just leave with nothing, you know? Uh, in America, because of health reasons, you need a coffin, and so, you know, there, there are coffins that a person can buy for 10,000, 20,000, you know, they're, they're very elaborate coffins that a person can buy. Um, but 
But a pine coffin is considered to be the appropriate way to go from the Jewish perspective. Just something extremely spare, unadorned, very, very simple. And with that in mind, you know, in some ways, this cemetery that I'm describing to you is really just for impoverished people. It's, it's for people who, you know, who have nothing. Um, and it really looks like that type of place. On, on the other hand, there's something so beautiful about this place because, you know, to leave with nothing, to leave just with your deeds, and, and that's it, with no pretense, there couldn't be a, a better place to be buried than this place, you know? Anyway, you go to this cemetery and... It wouldn't surprise you at all if no one was buried there that day or that week or that month and if no one even entered into this place. And so when we buried Ed and when we finished buried Ed, burying Ed, um, Rabbi Yonah, who was overseeing the, the service, said, you know, there's another person who's being buried here and they don't have a minion. And what I'm trying to say is is that that person may have never gotten a minion because who's to say there was going to be another funeral in that place that day or even in that week? Do you understand? So the timing that Ed... So, so in other words... All the people who attended Ed's funeral then moved over and provided a minion so that Kaddish could be said for this person who had nothing and nobody. And what I'm trying to tell you is that this is not a coincidence. That, that you see that how you live generates a life force into this world that continues past your life. And I'm going to give you a Torah proof for this in a moment. But I'm telling you that I saw it with my own eyes this week. That, And I'm not saying something... Don't, don't misunderstand me, please. I'm not saying something overly mystical right now. I'm not telling you that Ed from beyond orchestrated, that this other person should have a minion. I'm not saying that. If you want to say that, you can say that. But I'm not saying that right now. I'm saying something that I think is in its own way more profound than that, which is that the life that Ed lived, the life force that Ed put into the world continued in the realest way past his life, such that the timing of his burial coincided that someone else who had nothing, who didn't even have a minion to say Kaddish by their burial, was provided that minion because of Ed and because of the life that Ed lived. Now, of course, I'm talking about all of us. That the life that you live the force, the energy that you put into this world is going to continue in this world and continue to shape this world. 
And now I'm going to give you a Torah reference for this, so that you, you see that um, that what I'm saying is, 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 is a very real Torah concept. We just read about the splitting of the Red Sea. So we can do a whole class about why did the Red Sea split? Because the rabbis give many different fascinating explanations. Maybe we'll touch on some of them. But I want to give you one explanation right now, which is that it says that one of the reasons why the Red Sea split is because the sea saw the bones of Yosef. Now, remember, when the Jews were leaving Egypt, all the Jews were busy um, visiting the Egyptians and, and getting the, the gold and silver for all their manual labor for centuries, by the way. They were now being paid for their labor. And, um, but while they were doing that, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was doing something else. He was keeping the promise that the Jewish people swore to Yosef before Yosef died, which was Yosef said, my bones are going to remain with you in Egypt. Now remember how awesome that is. Because Yaakov Avinu, his last wish, really, was to be taken out of Egypt and be t- to be buried at Mor Samach Pelah, the cave of the patriarchs. And for Yaakov, as one of the, you know, one of the Avos, one of our fathers, it was very necessary that that's where he should be. But Yosef said, I'm going to stay behind, and I am going to be with you, and I will be redeemed when you will be redeemed. I will give you strength until it's time to leave. As I heard Reb Shlomo say many times, where do we to this day, you and me to this day, get the strength to be Jews in the present exile? Because Yosef Atzadik remained a Jew when he was in Egypt. Remember, when Yosef was in Egypt, he was the only Jew in exile. Can you imagine there was a period in Jewish history where there was only one Jew outside of the land of Israel, and that was Yosef. And in Gematria, very fascinating, Yosef is the same Gematria as the word Tzion. Tzion means Yerushalayim. So even when Yosef was outside of Israel, his essence was tied to Israel. So it's very appropriate that when he was outside of Israel, he remained a Jew and he gave us the strength to remain Jews while we are in exile, until Mashiach comes. So his bones remain in Egypt until it's time to go. And so while everyone is getting the gold and silver, Moshe Rabbeinu is doing something even higher than that. He's getting the bones of Yosef to keep the promise that the bones of Yosef will be taken out when the Jews leave Egypt. So they put the bones of Yosef in an ark, right, in a box that they carried. And the rabbis teach that when the Red Sea saw the bones of Yosef, the Red Sea split. Now, what's the connection? 
So Reb Shlomo explains it very beautifully. You see, Yosef changed his nature. Do you know what it took for him to resist the overtures, the seduction of Potiphara? You know, it says she changed her clothes five times a day. That was just one of the methods that she used to try to entrap Yosef. Yosef changed his nature so that he should be able to continue to do the right thing. And Reb Shlomo explains, why did the sea split when it saw the bones of Yosef? Because the Red Sea said, in the merit of you changing your nature, I'll also change my nature. Because it's not the nature of a sea to split. Everybody knows that. But I want to tie this all back to Ed. Because I'm telling you this to show you that there's a Torah support for this idea. That the life that you live continues to affect the world even after a person leaves their body. And the principles that they held fast to, that they were unshakable about, continues to work on the world. And can you find a more dramatic example of this than than the sea splitting in the presence of Yosef's bones? Okay. Just because we're on the subject, I'm going to tell you um, another reason. I'll tell you two two more reasons. Um, The Balaturim brings these down, if you want to see it inside. One of the other reasons you you see is in the merit of Avraham splitting the wood for the Akedah, for the binding of Yitzchak, in the merit of Avraham splitting the wood, it says that the Red Sea split. Isn't that interesting? And 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 the way the rabbis figure that out is because the word for split, like think of the visual, the wood is splitting, the Red Sea is splitting. And the same word for splitting is used by the splitting of the wood and the splitting of the sea. Do you see? So that's, that's how they, they know. And you see something very interesting from there, which is that um, sometimes Hashem will save up the reward for a particular act for a later time when that merit is needed. Isn't that interesting? So you see, even though um, Avraham received many blessings in his life for all the awesome things that he did, nonetheless, 
there are was certain reward that he that was saved up for future generations. And we see an example of that from the Akedus Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak, that that merit was used in part to split the sea and to rescue the Jews. Now I heard Rabbi Pesach Kron say something along these lines that I thought was very interesting. He said, you know, a lot of people are angry at God because they say, I did all of these mitzvahs, where's my reward? Where's my payment, God? I did all these things. So what Rabbi Krohn brought up was this fascinating idea that we've just learned by the Akedah. What if God were to tell you, you know the reward that you have coming your way from this great mitzvah that you did, this great act that you did? What if I saved it up in order to save the life of your grandchild? Something like that. Or a loved one. Would you make that? Would you make that trade? I think most people would. So you have to know that God is properly running the world. God is properly managing all of your assets, all of your deeds, all of your reward. In in the greatest way, and in a way that if you saw his math, you would 10,000% agree with. And so if you have questions like that, and we all do in our lives, understand that you're in the hands of the one who's running the world, who made the world, who's, who's keeping everything going from a place of love and a place of goodness, and has your best interests in mind always, 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 always. And you don't have to be afraid that somehow, you know, a check got lost, <laughs> you know, or was spent improperly. You, 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 you don't, you have the best business manager, so to speak, in the world. Okay, so I'm going to give you another answer, just because I think it's fascinating, all the different perspectives of why did the sea split, right? So the Balaturim brings down another idea, which is a mind-bending idea, okay? The, the splitting of the wood, that's a little more straightforward, okay? God saved up the reward for a later generation to save Abraham's descendants. We get that. That's pretty straightforward. But now listen to this one. This one's going to make your head spin, okay? So, so the Balaturim brings that God split the sea in the merit of the Jewish people giving half a shekel to the Mishkan. So, again, where does the actual proof or the source come from for that? Because the word for half a shekel, remember, like a shekel is being split in half, and the sea is being split in half, so the Imagery is very straightforward. And then that same word is, is used in both places for, for the splitting. Okay? 
But what about the time line on that? <laughs> when did the Jews give the half a shekel for the Mishkan? Wait a second. That wasn't until much after the sea was split. In other words, God was giving us the reward right now for something that we hadn't done yet. I'll say that again. I want you to fully appreciate that. We hadn't given the half a shekel yet. And yet, the Balaturim brings that the sea split in the merit of the half a shekel that we gave for the Mishkan. Which means one of the ways that God runs the world is that he gives us payment right now for things we haven't even done yet. Talk about a loving God, right? I mean, how awesome is that? So, it's, it's very important that you point yourself in the right direction. You have to point yourself in the right direction. Because where in the direction that you're heading, God sees the past, God sees the present, and God sees the future. And if you're heading in the right direction, that means, like, God can already see all the good things that you're going to do as a result of heading in that direction, and you might even be the recipient of the reward for those things you haven't done yet, just by virtue of the fact that you're heading in the right direction. I heard in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe a great thought. He said, you know, when you want to um, kind of think about what level am I on? What spiritual level am I on? What spiritual level is that other person on? Well, you know, I'm holding up here. That person's holding down there. So I guess I'm doing better than that person, right? So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says the following. He says, it's not what level you're on. It's what direction are you heading in and how quickly. <laughs> Do you understand? There can be someone who's on a high level and he is nosediving in terms of his spirituality. You know, he's going south fast. And you got another person who's like, is maybe isn't keeping much. But gewalt are they falling in love with God. Gewalt are they increasing their attachment to God. And you know what? If you want to make a bet, if you've got one person going down and the other person going up, you're going to bet on the person going up. So again, it's not what level you're on. If you want to ask yourself, like do a little, um, you know, soul searching. If you want a, 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 a test of how to evaluate where you are in terms of your own relationship with God right now, the question is, 
Not lev- what level, not what level are you holding on, but what direction are you heading in, and how quickly? Right. That's that's really the mark. All right. So, with that in mind, I want to tell you a very special prayer that I heard from Reb Shlomo. I was I was. Uh, had the privilege, this was, you know, back in the day, um, in Los Angeles, um, we had many wonderful Shabbatones at the house of Louis Kemp when he lived in Pacific Palisades. And um, I was privileged to be a part of uh, a few of those. And um, and Reb Shlomo was there, and it was Friday night, and we were davening together. And we got a, we were singing L'cha Dodi, it was Friday night, and we were about to turn around um, for Bowie B'Shalom, right? Uh, and, you know, you turn down, you, you turn around, we're, we're, uh, as you say Bowie, that's when you turn around, and, um, and you bow, and then you turn, like, you know, to the side, and you bow one more time, and then you face forward, and you bow one more time. And Reb Shlomo said the following. He said that this is what a person should have in mind at this moment. He said, you should pray to God, please God, fix my future, fix my past, and deliver my present. And I I never forgot that, that those words seared themselves into my heart because I think of the unusual phrasing that Reb Shlomo said, and I heard him very clearly, that you pray, please God, fix my future, fix my past, and deliver my present. This notion that, that at that moment you can you can pray that God should fix your future. You know, usually we talk about fixing a person's past. But fixing your future, that's, that's very, very deep. That's very, very deep. And I thought about it a number of times, and I'll just offer you one thought. I'm not saying this is the what Rip Shlomo had in mind, but it's a an explanation, anyway, that um, you can think about. You see, Friday night, when you sing L'cha Dodi, that's probably, if you take the whole week, that's probably one of the highest moments that you're going to be holding in all week. Spiritually speaking, maybe it's the highest moment for you, for the week. It, for me, it's often the highest moment for the whole week. So, at that moment, think about what we learned before, just a few moments ago. What direction are you heading in at that moment? You're heading in a really good direction. <laughs> so, the idea, God, please fix my future. It's a special prayer that, God, let me continue 
to head into the future from this direction. Right? Because, you know, one of the stories that I just think about all the time, I'm sure I've shared it with you, but as Reb Shlomo would say, it's always good to hear again. Years and years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I was in Yerushalayim uh, over Shavuos. Shavuos, of course, is the holiday where we celebrate getting the Torah at Mount Sinai. And um, for the, you know, for the Jews in Israel, those who are who are uh, religiously observant, you know, it's a Chag, you know, they're taking off of work. But for those who aren't so religious, it's, it's uh, for a lot of them, it's a, it's a chance to, you know, have a, a beautiful day on the beach. And, uh, you know, everyone at their level, right? So anyway, there was a terrorist attack we should know from them that was planned, and the Palestinians were going to be in this rubber dinghy. And since they knew that this would be a, a day where there would be a lot of people on the beach, they planned to go, and they were going to go with guns and chas v'shalom. You know, God forbid what they had in mind. And the rubber dinghy was off by just a few degrees and so instead of it going straight toward the beach where all the people taking the day off were, it headed a few degrees and it went maybe a hundred yards in the other direction, just because it was pointed a few degrees off. And it landed in front of a military base and they were arrested. And so, thank God, nothing bad happened. God saved us. But you see how a few degrees, when you move forward, makes a very substantial difference. So, Friday night, you're pointing in the, you're pointing in the best, best direction, you know? So maybe that's really a time to pray that God should fix our future. And, you know, there's a a larger lesson there, just for all of us, on a very practical level, which is that you really, you have to be careful with yourself. You know, they say when a person starts to lose their um, spiritual level, one of the things that goes is they decide that they're not going to wash their hands before eating bread anymore. For a long time, they, they say that this is an indication that someone is, is on, the, on the down, on the downward. So in the moment, you could say, oh, you know, on Shabbos I wash my hands. Do I always have to wash my hands before I eat bread? You know, for goodness sakes. But what I'm, what I'm telling you, in light of what we're learning right now, is understand that when you make a decision like that, that is you moving a few degrees in the wrong direction. And it may seem like a very minor act, and perhaps 
It isn't the end of the world, perhaps. But that is an indication of the direction that you're moving in, and there will be multiple other manifestations of that lack of connection, let's just say, that lack of spiritual sensitivity will manifest itself in your life in many, many different ways over the next several months or next several years. And so what I'm offering you is a broader perspective of the little things. Because a lot of what Torah is about, and if you appreciate Torah, if you love Torah, you understand this, and which is the importance of these little things. And from the perspective of mindfulness, of being in the moment, these little things that the Torah is just replete with. It's just like there's just treasure chests of little things. What they're allowing you to do is to elevate the mundane in every aspect of your life, to sanctify the quote-unquote normal, to elevate sparks in absolutely everything. Because look, if God fills the entire world and there's no space without God, That means there's no act, no matter how mundane, like putting on your shoes and socks, there's no act that can't be made holy. And that is the beauty of Torah, recognizing that there is no such thing as a secular moment, that you have the opportunity to sanctify every single moment, and the Torah teaches you how to do it. Now, for someone who is new to these ideas, or who hasn't learned, or maybe is not new to these ideas, but they haven't had their mind opened, and and, and they approach this as (laughs) over-legislation, like nitpicking, the rabbis are control freaks. What do you want from me, God? Give me a break. You know, Rabbi Green tells a story which is so beautiful. He says, there's something that young children, your mother, and God all have in common. Okay, you ready for this? Young children, your mother, and God all have this in common. Let's say you're... um, Let's say... Your mother's in the room. Uh, let's say your mother's in your bedroom. And you say to your mother, Mom, um, I feel like being alone right now. Is that okay? Your mother will close the door and say, Okay, we're alone. <laughs> and you say, No, Mom, I, I mean, I'd like to be alone right now. And she'll say, yes, yes, we're alone now. (laughs) And you're like, no, Mom, I want to be alone right now. And she'll say, yes, 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 we're alone right now. So that's God also. (laughs) 
There's no moment without God. But that's because God loves you the most. I used to, not all the time, but when I'd put my children to sleep, I used to say, you know, I love you so much. I love you so much. But do you know who loves you even more than me? Hashem. Because no one loves us more than Hashem. So God is giving us opportunities to connect with Him every single moment. And this is the answer to a question that a lot of people are baffled by and frustrated by, which is, why is there so much Jewish law? Because there are mitzvahs and halachas from the time you wake up, literally, from the time that you open your eyes, literally, at the beginning of a day, all day, till the time that you breathe your last breath when you leave this world. And that's because there's no moment where God's not with you, and there's no activity that can't be made holy. Now, if you ask me, that is fantastic news. That's fantastic. That means that I can be doing something productive at all times. That means that I'm needed. That means that I'm always on the job. By the way, it doesn't mean that you can't rest. But when even when you rest now, even when you go to sleep, you can have something holy in mind, which is, God, please, you know, I need a little bit of a rest so that I can use this rest so that I can serve you even better. And I'm telling you, this is a very important thought that everyone should have when you've got your head on, head on the pillow at the end of the day. Everyone should have this thought every single night before you go to bed. When your head is on the pillow, please, God, let me sleep to serve you. Because you shouldn't have in mind, okay, I can finally go to sleep, God. I'm punching out. I'm off the clock. (laughs) This is now my time, finally. I get to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. It's not what it is. It's not what it is. So with that in mind, I'm going to teach you the Torah way to take a shower. Okay? Because there's a way to do everything in a holy way. So there's a way to take a shower in a holy way. What do you wash first? Don't you want to know? I want to know. How can I make my shower holy? I want to know. You mean there's a way? There's a way. Okay, so here's how you do it. First, you wash your hair. Okay? Which makes sense, because that's the top of your head. Okay? Then, you wash your face. And then you wash your heart. And you can have beautiful things in mind at this moment, uh, at all the moments, by the way. Um, When you wash your heart, one of the biggest moments in the whole prayer book 
is when we say Vitaiher Libenu La Avdacha Beemis, which means please God purify my heart so that I can serve you with truth. And on a good day, when I'm washing my heart, I have those words in mind. Please God purify my heart so that I can serve you in truth. Then you wash your right hand and your left hand. Then you wash your right foot and your left foot. And then, as my wife would say, Gesundheit, you do whatever you like. <laughs> so I'll go over that one more time. And, um, and I recommend that everybody do this. Because you, I think that this is important to do for a lot of reasons. One is, it's fun because you're actually doing something holy when you weren't doing anything holy before. So you're actually going to get schar olamaba. You're actually going to get eternal reward for doing this. And you got to wash yourself anyway. So, But one second, hold it on till the end, please. Um, so, so the, but the more important idea is that you shouldn't think that you've entered into a zone or a period in your life where you're not in a relationship with God. That is the more important thing. When a person is in the bathroom, you don't say a blessing in the bathroom. Not that God doesn't fill the entire world. God fills the entire world. But as a sign of kavod, of respect, of honor to God, you don't say his name in the bathroom. It's a sign of respect. Not that he's not there, just like he fills the entire world, he's also there. However, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says something beautiful. He says, you know, you can't learn Torah in the bathroom. But you know what you can do? You can long to learn Torah in the bathroom. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? And, and in that way, you're also serving God, but you're serving God in such a beautiful way because it's not a sign of disrespect. It's a sign of the utmost respect. I, if only I could be learning Torah right now, God. Do you understand how beautiful that is? Okay. So, I see, uh, I see it's 11 o'clock, and the, the thing that I actually wanted to discuss with you, I didn't discuss. <laughs> so, maybe we'll learn it another time. Um, and, uh, anyway... What's the, what's the point? The point is, is that we're in the most amazing period of ourselves right now. Um, you know, let's just think a little bit about uh, math for a moment. You know, if you have something finite, finite means that there's a beginning and an end. 
If you have something finite next to something that's infinite, infinite means there is no end, then it doesn't matter how large the finite thing is, next to the infinite thing, the finite thing is going to seem very small. Even if the finite thing is very large, if you put it right next to an infinite, something infinite, it's very small. Do you understand? It should be clear. If a person lives a long life, we should all live long lives to 120 years. Do you understand the soul lives on, our souls live on after our life, forever? Which means that our time in a body, even if our time in a body is 120 years, it's like this. It's over like this. Compared to how long our life is going to be outside of a body. So every single moment that we have while we're still in this dimension where we're tied to a body is infinitely precious. Because we can accomplish things in the spiritual worlds while we're in a body that we can't begin to accomplish when we're outside of a body. So, one of my teachers, Gedaya Gerfein, compared this life to that game show, uh, Supermarket Sweep. So, the way that game show works is, you get an empty shopping cart in a supermarket, and the clock is ticking, and you have something like one minute to load your shopping cart with everything that you can, and you're running like a, a, like a crazy person around the supermarket, putting everything you can into the shopping cart. And then you have to get to the checkout counter, right? And I guess whoever has the most wins, or I don't know what it is. But he said, can you imagine the clock is ticking? You've got a certain amount of seconds. And you get up to the, the part of the supermarket that has Snapple. And you're standing there debating with yourself, should I get the diet raspberry Snapple or the, or the full sugar Snapple? <laughs> and you're going back and forth. The clock is ticking. What are you doing? What are you doing? There's no time. So, so to the extent that we can fill our consciousness with that over the course of our life, that every single one of these moments that we're in a body is infinitely precious and not lose sight of that, then we'll be able to accomplish what we were put into this world to do and to really raise all the heavens during our lifetime. Okay. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.